Our scripture reading today is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will, love, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus answered to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. The word of the Lord. So I was raised by a single mom. Uh, and my mom is a pretty independent person. I feel like she could probably do anything. Um, even as I think about the home I grew up in, there's all these little pieces of evidence of all the various talents my mom had. There was a picnic table in our backyard that she built. Uh, we had this like screened in gazebo thing and my mom like sewed by hand curtains for like the whole thing. She grew tons and tons of vegetables and fruits. We had this giant garden and she would can things. She would make pickles and jelly and she'd can green beans or freeze them for the winter. Uh, she threw birthday parties for me. She would make the cake. One of my birthday parties, I think I was like seven maybe, she made princess hats for me and all my friends. Uh, she was just amazing. When I was little, she actually made a lot of my clothes too. She's ridiculous. She can take care of herself. So growing up with this independent single mom, I developed some of those same characteristics. I'm nowhere near as talented her as her in a lot of ways, <laughs> but I definitely got her attitude of, I got this, I can take care of this myself. And in a lot of ways, that's a good thing, right? I can be pretty resourceful. I'm generally not afraid to try anything. If I don't know the answer, I'm happy to go figure it out. But sometimes being fiercely independent isn't a good thing. It's taken me a long time to get comfortable asking Jeremy for help, to learn that it's okay to ask him to get the pitcher from the high shelf instead of like, you know, rigging together something with like a spatula to try and knock it down so I can catch it real quick. <laughs> I still forget to tell him things that are on our calendar. Like Esther has a birthday party this afternoon. I don't think I told him that yet. He's finding out now. Um, <laughs> It takes effort for me to check in and not just go around and do my, like my own thing. And so this happens in my faith journey as well. 
I'm often tempted to believe the lie that although maybe I needed Jesus to actually die on the cross for my sins and save me, now I think, oh, it's up to me to change myself, to become more holy. You know, he did the big thing. He died on the cross, forgave my sins. But now I need to take initiative to get better at sinning less. Just try harder to be more like Jesus. I very often try and figure out my faith struggles and push through my weaknesses and my sin patterns on my own. I'm often tempted to take things into my own hands and not ask him for help. I constantly need the reminder of what Jesus said to Paul in 2 Corinthians. My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. It is hard for me to admit weakness. It's hard for me to admit I need help, even sometimes from Jesus. I wonder if any of you all feel that way too. If you've ever struggled with a sin pattern or maybe even just a mental health issue or a difficult relationship and you just keep trying, just keep trying to be better, to think positive, to make things work out. I wonder if anyone else like me is tempted to believe the lie that we are self-sufficient enough to fix whatever's broken in our lives if we just read the right book or try the right strategy or maintain a positive mindset. If anyone else struggles with this, you know how exhausting that can be, how utterly depleting it can be to just keep trying hard, putting in more effort, keep spinning things over and over in your mind until you can figure it out. Well, if anyone else is like me this morning, I hope that the passage that Rosemary just read might be helpful to you as we talk through it. I hope that over the next few moments, you feel a sense of relief at the good news this passage holds for us. So we have been studying the book of Matthew. And as we've made our way through these first few chapters, we've learned about Matthew's two goals for his gospel, right? First, he wants to convince his readers that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the one that the prophets were talking about. He's come to save the world. It's him. It's Jesus. And his second goal is for followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, to learn what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus. And we see both of these themes here in the story that Rosemary just read about Jesus' testing in the wilderness. So first, Matthew's original audience, the first people to read the book of Matthew or hear it spoken, would have seen in that story a really clear comparison between the testing of Jesus in the desert and the testing of Israel in the desert. Now, a lot of your Bibles use the word tempt or temptation. That's the same Greek word that's used elsewhere in the New Testament and in the Greek version of the Old Testament to be test. So it's not really so much about tempting, it's about testing, testing Jesus' character. So Matthew's first audience would have seen, right, this clear comparison between Jesus and Israel. The 40 days and 40 nights that Jesus was in the wilderness, clear allusion to the 40 years Israel was in the wilderness. Jesus' quotations, he quotes scripture in response every time Satan tests him. All of those scriptures are from the book of Deuteronomy. And in fact, in the section where Moses is reminding the people about their 40 years in the desert. In Matthew 4.1, we read that it was actually the spirit of God that led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested. 
And in the same portion of Deuteronomy that Jesus is quoting at Satan, Moses reminds the people too, that it was God who had led them into the desert to test them. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So the narrative of Jesus testing in the wilderness is supposed to make Matthew's audience recall the history of their own people. It's supposed to make them remember how God continued to be faithful despite Israel's constant failures. Satan's first test for Jesus was about turning stones into bread. This is intended to recall Israel's constant complaining about hunger in the wilderness, their continual doubting of God's ability to take care of them. The second test where Satan tempts Jesus to throw himself from the roof of the temple, that's really about demanding God's care, demanding what he would love to give freely, but taking into their own hands, forcing God to care, to do something. And Jesus' response from Deuteronomy referenced the time the people of Israel demanded water from God in the wilderness. The third test about worship Satan, worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, is a clear reminder of Israel's decision to worship the golden calf and all the subsequent times they worshiped other gods throughout their history. So every test Satan gives Jesus is a test Israel encountered in the wilderness. This would have been obvious to Matthew's first audience. And it would have been obvious to Matthew's first audience that every test Israel failed Jesus passed with flying colors. Matthew wants his audience to see that God's redemptive purposes have reached their fulfillment in Jesus, who perfectly obeys. To see that although Israel's time in the wilderness was marred by disobedience and unfaithfulness, Jesus is faithful, perfectly faithful. Jesus is the true Israel, the picture of what Israel was intended to be but could never become on their own. These connections would be clear to Matthew's first audience. The second thing Matthew's original audience would have seen in this passage is a clear example to follow. So the wilderness in the Bible is both a place of testing and a place of provision. And so as Matthew's first audience as early Christians considered the testing of Jesus in the wilderness they would have no, no doubt seen comparisons to their own situations. They were persecuted by Rome for their faith. Early Christians lived in a constant wilderness experience. Their faith was often tested. Just as Satan tempted Jesus to take things into his own hands and make bread for himself, there were many times when followers of Jesus must have been tempted to take care of themselves, to grasp at self-sufficiency, to protect themselves, to try and make sure they had what they needed, to turn inward in self-sufficiency instead of upward in dependence on God. Just as Satan tempted Jesus to throw himself from the temple to prove that God's word was true, to prove God's care, there must have been times when the early Christians were tempted to demand God's care and protection for them. 
when they were being publicly accused and arrested, when they were being sent into arenas to be killed. And just as Satan tried to tempt Jesus to skip the cross on his way to ruling the world by bowing down to him, early Christians experienced frequent temptations to bow down and worship Caesar in exchange for life, for the full life that only Jesus could give them. So each of these temptations was a clear and present issue for the early church. And Matthew wants his audience to see that Jesus provides an example for them when they face temptation. Because what did Jesus do in each of these temptations? He quoted scripture. Anytime Satan came at him, he countered the words of the accuser with the words of God. See, in that first temptation, Satan knows Jesus must be hungry. It has been 40 days without food. And so this first test is about Jesus' hunger. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, this is another weird translations thing. When we see the word if, Satan really isn't asking if that's true. Really, that word means since. Since you are the son of God. Remember, last week we read the story of Jesus' baptism. And the last verse of chapter 3, right before Jesus is tested in the wilderness, that last verse contains the voice of God speaking from heaven, affirming Jesus is God's son. So this testing is intended not to see if Jesus is the son of God, but to test what the implications of that truth are. To test what Jesus will do with that special relationship he has with God. Satan is saying, surely it is beneath your dignity as the son of God to suffer hunger. Especially when you can just turn these stones into bread. You're the son of God. And so Jesus wants to see or Satan wants to see if Jesus will use his power for his own good. But Jesus responds with scripture. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus here is saying that he has come to obey the will of the father, not satisfy himself. God sent him here to be tested and he will wait for God to provide his care and sustenance. He will not take things into his own hands. He will submit to what God has for him. Jesus chose to experience hunger like so many humans do. To know what it is to be fully human in solidarity with people instead of taking the easy way out. In the second test, Satan takes Jesus to the top of the temple and suggests he should jump. And this time Satan says, I can quote scripture too. If you're the son of God, he says, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan is taking the promises of God out of context in Psalm 91 and twisting them. But Jesus knows God's word and how Satan's misapplying it, and he responds again with scripture. Jesus answered him in verse 7, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus knows that what Satan is suggesting is to abuse his position as God's son to try and force God's hand. Satan uses scripture to try and deceive. But Jesus uses scripture 
to demonstrate his submission to the Father. In the same way, the third temptation is for Jesus to bow down and worship Satan in order to rule over all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus again uses scripture to resist this temptation and send Satan away. Verse 10 says, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So in these temptations and in Jesus' response, Matthew's readers are supposed to see an example to follow. The example of Jesus here tells us that one of the most effective weapons we have against temptation in times of, tri of trials and testing is the word of God. So there's a lesson for us here, right? When we are tempted, we need to cling to what God's word says. When we go through seasons of trials or tests, we need to cling to scripture. We need to be like the psalmist in one, Psalm 119, who says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So this is for us, right? What are the areas of life where we experience testing or temptation? Is there a particular sin you struggle with? Do you often struggle with feelings of inadequacy? Do you struggle with anxiety? Are you grieving? Maybe the best thing you can do to get through these seasons, to get through these struggles, to get through these temptations is to find some scripture that speaks to your struggle and be ready with it when the struggle comes. Maybe put a note card with that verse on it in your car. Maybe write it on your bathroom mirror and dry erase marker. Make it your computer image background. Maybe set an alarm for the time of day you know something's going to be a temptation for you with a reminder to read scripture. Jesus shows us that we do not have to give in to temptation or testing. He shows us that we have authority over the evil one. This is what James says in James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Just as Jesus told Satan to go and he had to leave, we have the same spirit of God in us. Matthew wants his readers to know that disciples of Jesus will face times of testing and that when we do, we can cling to Jesus' example of clinging to God's word. That's what Paul was speaking about in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. When we're tempted, there is a way out. And Jesus shows us that the way out is to cling to the words of God instead of listening to the deceptive words of the evil one. What a hopeful and encouraging message. There is a way out. There is a strategy to stand up against temptation and testing. So Matthew shows that the testing of Jesus is just like the testing of Israel. And Matthew shows us how Jesus remained faithful. He shows us that we can follow his example when we're tempted or tested by clinging to the word of God in the midst of our trials. But by putting these two lessons together, there's one big idea that Matthew wants to make crystal clear. See, Matthew knows there's people in his audience like me. People whose temptation is to believe the lie that if they just follow the right procedure, memorize some scripture, they'll just be able to stop sinning, stop doubting, stop being anxious. People who want a rule to follow that will just work 100% success guaranteed every time. 
people who maybe are more interested in self-improvement and self-sufficiency than in being shaped into God's image by radical dependence on him. And so Matthew's telling of this story is deliberately structured to keep his audience humble and dependent on God. Even as Matthew wants disciples of Jesus to follow Jesus' example, this close connection of Jesus' testing with the testing of Israel is intended to remind the early Christians that although they may have good days where they choose to listen to God, where they stand faithfully against temptation, they may have those days, those days, and they are just like the people of Israel. They will certainly have days when they fail when they choose self-satisfaction over obedience, where they demand instead of waiting patiently, where they chase power and fame and comfort instead of submission to God and love for others. And just like Matthew's audience, we will fail over and over. Over and over, we will choose the way of self-satisfaction instead of the way of obedience. Over and over, we will demand instead of trust. Over and over, we will worship money or power or position or our desires instead of God. And Matthew wants us to know this is why we need Jesus. This is why we need Jesus. We fail, but Jesus never does. We give in to temptation, but Jesus perfectly resists. And instead of trying to endlessly achieve what we never can in our own power, Matthew invites us to accept the work of Jesus on our behalf. Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Really, this, this is the whole story of the Bible, right? God created a perfect world. Humans messed it up. So God creates a covenant with Israel. They can't keep it. Okay, so God provides a system for them that they can confess their sins. They can receive obedience or they can receive forgiveness. They don't even do that. And so God says through the prophets that because his people couldn't live the way they needed to in order for the world to function the way it's supposed to, he would make a way where he could do for them what they could never do for themselves. He would give them new hearts. He would give them a new spirit. He would help them live according to his kingdom. He would forgive all their sins. He would provide the perfect sacrifice to atone for all the wrong. And all of this is what comes to fulfillment in Jesus. We follow Jesus not just because he's a good example of a perfect human. We follow Jesus because when we inevitably fail over and over, he takes the burden of our sin off of us. He takes the burden of the shame we carry around over our inability to do the right thing. He took all of that off of us and he carried it with him to the cross. He took it on himself. Every failure, every selfish thought, every ounce of disobedience to God. And on the cross, he put it to death. He took this impossibly heavy burden of our failure and took it away from us. And not only did he take off that heavy burden of our failure, he gave us his righteousness, his obedience. He credited us with his ability to choose the right thing every time. So it's as if when God looks at us, all he sees 
is the faithful, constant obedience of Jesus. And this is what Matthew wants his audience to know. Yes, we need to cooperate with the work God is doing in us. Yes, we need to be active partners at the way God is changing us. Yes, we can follow the example of Jesus and saturate ourselves with scripture so that we can stand up in those tests of our faith. And Matthew wants us to know we don't have to do it all on our own. The whole story of the gospel is to rest in the work of Jesus that he's already done on our behalf. So we don't have to strive to be perfect and then berate ourselves when we inevitably fail. We can rest knowing that in Jesus, we have already been made perfect before God. We're just in the process of figuring out how to live according to that reality. So what is God saying to you about all of this this morning, family? Is God maybe inviting you to prepare for testing or temptation by meditating more on his word? Are there some scriptures you need to write down or put in places where you'll see them? Is there a struggle you're having that would be helped by clinging to God's word? If you don't know a verse that applies specifically to your struggle, ask a friend. (laughs) Ask someone in your journey group. My journey group this week uh, decided that we're going to share with each other the verses that we think might help us in times of struggles. So maybe just sharing verses with your friends would be a good way for you to prepare yourself for the times of testing that are to come. Or maybe this morning you are feeling so beaten down about your sin. You are feeling overwhelmed with your ability, your inability to do the right thing. If that's where you're at this morning, Jesus invites you to stop striving to be perfect and to accept the work he's already done on your behalf. Jesus is inviting you to hear those words that God whispered to him as though they're whispered to you. You are my beloved child. I love you. I love you. Maybe you're like me. And you have that struggle of just trying to figure it out yourself, work it out on your own. Maybe this morning God's invitation to you is to admit that you can't do it all on your own. Maybe this morning you need to hear the words he said to the Israelites at the Red Sea. This is a verse I cling to often. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. In these next few moments, we're going to have some time to sit quietly. And then we're going to sing a song that declares our dependence on Jesus. So in these next couple moments, I want to invite you just to sit quietly and listen for God's voice. Maybe write down a phrase or a Bible verse that he brings to mind. And when you're ready, come and receive communion. The bread and the juice are symbols of Christ's body and blood that were broken and shed for us, to forgive us for our sins. Communion is our declaration as a community every week that we are in desperate need of the work of Jesus, that we acknowledge Jesus is the Savior. We are not, that we need his sacrifice on our behalf. And here at Harbor, we have open communion. That means anyone who wants what Jesus offers is welcome to come and take communion. 
to take these beautiful reminders of his love for us. So let me pray and then take a few moments and when you're ready, come on up and receive communion. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you you did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Thank you that you choose obedience, you choose faithfulness every time. Thank you that not only do we have your example to follow, but you in dying on the cross and coming back to life gave us the credit for your righteousness so that we could be restored to a relationship with God. Help us hear from us this morning, whatever you want us to hear, whether it's a loving challenge or conviction or just an invitation to rest in your love for us. Help us hear your voice today. In your name we pray. Amen.